Welcome to Into the Garden with Leslie here on News Radio WINA. I am Leslie Harris, and my thing is garden explaining. I mean, I don't know everything about gardens, but I love to talk about gardens and then learn some more and then talk some more. So that's what I like to do. Our plant of the week is a trendy native with a mouthful of a Latin name, but a short and sweet common name. And then we'll be chatting with Bree Arthur about foodscaping. What is foodscaping? Well, you will find out. And lastly, our playlist, it's about what to do in your garden right now. And I think that is all play and no work because that's the way I look at it. Um, But it is a bit of work these days because we're still battling a drought and talking about the weather is dull enough. So let us shy away from it, particularly when dull becomes hot, humid, and results in, well, for me, dragging heavy hoses around. I do not have an irrigation system. I am the irrigator. Um, I wish Mother Nature would pitch in. So instead, I want to preview our very fun interview today. I will be chatting with Bree Arthur, and she is so fun to talk to, but her thing is so cool. It's edible plants and edible foodscaping and making things look pretty in your garden that you can also eat. She's a great speaker. She's an author. Um, She sometimes partners with Joe Lample, who is Joe Gardner of the Joe Gardner podcast and Joe Gardner YouTube. And um, they get together on that PBS show called Growing a Greener World. And uh, if you want to, I just feel like if you can see more of Brie, you should, because you'll get a little tidbit here on this, on this uh, interview, but she's just, uh, she's very inspiring. One of the things that I think is just an easy thing to take away is that you don't even have to have a dedicated veg patch to grow veg. Now, if you want to, that's great. I mean, they can look so cool set aside and also neat and that sort of thing. But if you don't want to do that, if you don't like the way that looks, why not just use the front of the border or the middle of the border or the back of the border or somewhere around your landscape plants? I mean, you can, you can, the world is your oyster. The garden is your opportunity. Bree would be very proud of my plant of the week this week because it is edible. I'm only growing it for the second season for me. It's called mountain mint. And I said it was trendy. I don't think it's actually trendy, but it's trendy to me because it's kind of new to me. Um, I think there are a few different types. It's pycnanthemum is the genus name, but I like the pycnanthemum muticum. So let us just go quickly to the common name, which is so much easier, mountain mint. And this type of mountain mint that I like, the muticum type, um, is also called short-toothed mountain mint, clustered mountain mint. If I were in charge of its common name, I would probably call it silver mountain mint because that's what I like about it. I really like silvery plants in the landscape. All right, so it is an herbaceous perennial. Herbaceous is a fancy word for saying that it goes away in winter. It grows to about two, maybe three feet tall. And just like its namesake, mint, although it's not a mentha plant, it is pycnanthemum, um, it is a spreader. It's not in the same family as mint, but it does that same suckering, spreading thing. If you don't like to pull extra plants and give them to friends or just put them in the compost, don't get this plant. But it's an easy pull, just so you know, very easy to control. It grows in zones four through eight. So to just sort of break that down for you, we're talking about it can grow in Montana. It can grow all the way down in Georgia. And it is silver. So really straight, skinny stems with sort of a medium green leaf. Um, maybe two inches long. But what you notice is the top silvery thing. And it's this cluster of little dusty green silvery buttons about a centimeter across. You get sort of four, maybe eight buttons per plant. And these tiny little buttons have adorable 
daisy sort of petals, but so tiny. I mean, you have to look closely to see these little petals. And they're the palest, palest purple. So really all they do is add to the adorable silvery look. And you know what the coolest thing is? I grow this plant in full-on sun as well as deep shade, and they are just as tall and straight and very attractive to pollinators in sun as they are in deep shade. I was walking around in my garden a couple of weeks ago with my friend Eleanor Gould, who used to work at Monticello, and she was a fellow at Longwood, and so she knows much more than I do about gardening. She's landscape architect, blah, blah, blah. But that's not why she's my friend. She's simply a lovely human being. Anyway, we were talking about this plant, and we pulled a couple right out of the ground. They had wandered into the pathway. And we both noted, like, look how shallow this root system is. This plant could grow anywhere and not compete to another plant's detriment because most plants have, you know, it only goes down about an inch. Easy to pull, easy to control, really cool way to light up your shade. She and I agreed that I should have more of it. And I think that's easy because it is spreading, covered with a gazillion of pollinators. You will love that. It will take any kind of soil. It is deer resistant. Is it a good cut flower? Yeah, I would give it a B minus. I mean, I jam it in a jar with some other things that it tends to wrinkle up a bit faster than some of the other plants, but it's not tragic. And it still retains its silvery sort of wrinkled look. It is edible. And how about a mountain mint julep? I was going to make some for my friends coming and then I got lazy, but I think I might make one for myself tonight. Sorry, Karen and Jimmy. I'll get you next time. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. And coming up, we're talking with Bree Arthur, Bree the Plant Lady, about your potential edible landscape. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie, broadcasting on News Radio WINA. I'm Leslie Harris, and we are talking with Bree Arthur of BreeGrows.com about edible landscaping. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so glad to see you again. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. I have been a fan of Breeze since February of 2019 when I saw her speak at the Piedmont Landscape Association Conference. And some of you here in Charlottesville might have been so lucky. And what she did, well, here's just the epitome of what she did. Her, her shtick is edible landscaping, foodscaping. And she's so impactful and effective at it that I immediately came home from that conference and got on some website for seeds and got myself some buckwheat and got myself some peanuts and all this stuff. I can't tell you that I continued to do that and I wasn't very successful. My um, um, people who have listened to the show before say that, why would you grow vegetables? Isn't that what farmer's markets are for? But no, I really, it's a, it's a goal and it's an aspiration. And we're going to talk about how to get these wonderful tasting things into the garden. So tell us about what you do, because you speak a lot. And tell, tell us about what you love to speak about, the word you love to spread. Well, you know, I am a passionate gardener, a lifelong horticulturalist, and I just want to encourage people to grow whatever they love, and I don't want them to have boundaries. You know, and so I live out in the suburbs, and, you know, our neighborhoods are getting smaller. There's less and less space, so people don't have always the the ability to have a segregated vegetable garden and i don't want space to be a limiting factor so i have had to work through my homeowner association and manage you know to figure out creative ways to take advantage of the sun that i have and the places that it exists and sometimes that's you know in your foundation landscape and that shouldn't be a reason not to grow food and so that's what my goal is to sort of break down these barriers and get people to think a little more creatively, maybe actually also thinking a little more critically 
about what you grow, what you eat, and how you can grow it in the most effective way so your experience is as, as impactful as possible. Now, I don't think everybody needs to grow one of everything that you use, like grow a handful of things, do it well, and it'll actually feel like you're making a difference in your, your purchasing at the store or at a farmer's market. I think that's great advice. And before we go further, I want to make sure that everybody knows that Brie has an amazing website and YouTube channel, and it is BrieGrows.com. And she's the author of two books, The Foodscape Revolution and Gardening with Grains is your latest one. Well, you just gave us a background of what you like to talk about. Would you say that within what you just said, does that define foodscaping or can you go farther with that? Well, you know, I think foodscaping is, is one of these opportunities for you to just um, be able to change with every season, recognizing your schedules might change. Last year, you may have had more time in the garden than you do this year. And it's really the idea is building off of Roz Creasy's incredible base of knowledge. Roz Creasy, for everyone who's not familiar, wrote, actually has written 23 books on the subject of edible landscaping and wrote what I really consider to be the edible landscaping Bible. And, you know, I read that as a teenager and it totally motivated me to go about gardening, you know, at my parents' home growing up in a totally different way than we ever had. And, you know, I'm just so privileged to be able to keep her good advice going into, you know, a new generation um, that has an interest in, you know, cultivating both beauty and bounty. And no landscape should be without both because there is an environmental benefit um, you know, just as far as like pollinators uh, love vegetables, like you mentioned buckwheat. We, my, I garden with a lot of neighborhood children. I'm a firm believer if you want children to have healthy eating habits, you start by giving them a seed. And I'm so lucky to have this very dedicated crew of now teenagers that help me. And we were replanting our neighborhood entry, which of course is where the kids hang out when they wait for the school bus. And yesterday, we just did this yesterday, we planted buckwheat, crimson clover, and peanuts. And they were all so excited to get it redone. And these are all things that are drought tolerant, that benefit pollinators, and actually fix nitrogen. So we're not having to add fertilizer. And so you see the foodscaping kind of touches in so many different parts of the idea of gardening and landscaping. It's really a fusion of the two concepts. That's really well put. I love that. I just took a virtual tour of your garden this morning and you do that every week or every month on YouTube. I do it weekly now because the garden changes so much from week to week. And it's really fun to be able to, it's very extemporaneous. Nothing is ever planned. <laughs> and, and it's just, I think a really kind of genuine, what I've missed so much through the pandemic is actually seeing people live and in person. And so I've gotten over the weird factor of me talking to myself through a cell phone because there are people out there that watch this and it's created a really wonderful conversation and it's really cool to see how people are watching what I do and trying it for themselves and giving me suggestions on how to do it better. So I really love that. <laughs> I love, I, I could tell it was extemporaneous when you said something like, oh, there's a whole lot more barley than I had anticipated in this bed. Hmm, we'll see how this works or something like that. I clearly did not do a good job harvesting the barley. And I thought that the birds had eaten it and I mowed it down because, you know, a lot of what I'm trying to do is also sort of blur the lines between 
agriculture and home gardening and figure out creative ways to improve your soils and reduce disease pressure and provide natural fertility. And all of this comes with cover cropping and mowing in place and letting, letting things actually decompose where you grew them and growing a new crop right on top. And that's exactly what happened with the barley. (laughs) So let's go back to that um, letting things die where they are, because as I'm looking, as I'm watching you walk through this garden, how much land do you have there? So we have an acre and half an acre of that is actually a woodland swamp. So we're managing in full sun, former tobacco field, So lots of problems here as a result of past land use. Uh, We're managing a half an acre and half of that is turf, you know, walking spaces and a large area where our leach field for our septic system is in our backyard. And then the other quarter acre is all landscape beds that are foodscaped. And some areas um, in the 10 years that I've been gardening here have become more ornamental than edible as plants have grown. And, you know, now I have full shade in areas that when I started this garden were full sun. And it's been a really fun way to, you know, be able to properly crop rotate because I have more available square footage to move things around than when I had a traditional vegetable garden. Um, It's also allowed me to be far more creative in my plant pairings. And I think that's really the thing that intrigues me so much is like, how beautiful a zucchini leaf can be when it has the juxtaposition with ornamental plants and it's unexpected, but it's this great texture and it's a very bold presence. And when you have zucchini lined up, you know, in a vegetable garden, you take, you don't even notice the ornamental quality. And that's what I love so much because this is an opportunity for you to have your garden change every single season And be able to harvest something to be able to share with family and friends. And you grow so much that that was another thing that occurred to me. I know, I think you're very smart to do these. um, You just did another succession of tomatoes that'll get you tomatoes in in October, you said. Yes. Uh, And and that makes sense. I just sowed some little babies that are about six inches tall too. Um, So, but who eats all this food? Do you all eat all this food? We Well, we do. And we have a lot of neighbors that are very willing um, to, to take it. I also do a lot of preserving. Uh, so, you know, I don't buy tomato, tomato anything. Uh, you know, all the sauce, salsa, paste, everything comes from here on the property. Uh, but, you know, we also end up donating a lot to the local food banks. And there's actually some really amazing things you can do through Ample Harvest. And they're now working with school systems to be able to provide fresh produce for students that are in need. So, you know, I think that the we're really in an era where there's more sense of community and diversity with regard to food equity. And that, that falls down into how we use our home gardens and how we as individuals can strengthen our communities by just planting one simple thing that gets you know, eaten by someone else that you may not be directly connected to, but needs your resources. And uh, to me, like as a horticulturalist, in my early years in the nursery industry and as an estate gardener, I was very fulfilled, but it also felt very self-serving and somewhat exclusive. And what I love about the opportunity of growing food is how it 
it again, it blurs the lines and it makes it so that what you're doing is bigger than yourself. And you know, that's, that's not something that I can get from knockout roses. Yep. <laughs> I hear you. I think, I think that's so wonderful. Um, I just now I do grow tomatoes in knockout roses, so I'm not knocking the knockouts entirely. I use them as a living steak. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Just to support them. That's fantastic. Um, you mentioned earlier that um, when you first started to garden like this, your HOA gave you a little bit of strife. How is that working out now? been an incredible journey <laughs> um, at first. And I think many people experience this. You get that letter and you get really mad, right? And then you don't want to be cooperative and you almost go out of your way to make it harder. <laughs> and I went through all of these phases until I finally came to the point where I was like, wait, you actually have a degree in horticulture. You could educate them to make better decisions about how our landscapes could be used and envision a different future for what suburban landscapes could be. And once I got to that point, I started realizing it wasn't the plants themselves. It's the method in which most Americans vegetable garden where we're very accustomed to pretending we're farmers, right? We like to segregate. We like straight lines. The thing is, when you're a home gardener, you're not using a tractor. You don't actually have to plant in a straight line. And you, you would actually be able to grow more and do a better job rotating your plants if you used all of the sunny areas in your entire yard instead of one isolated zone. And so once I started working with HOAs to show them what could be instead of a vegetable garden or, you know, somebody tearing out all their lawn and putting in boxed beds and really disrupting the infrastructure of the development design. Then they started saying, well, no, we, we think that looks pretty. So it's really more of the design and methodology. It's not actually the plants that are the problem. It's the kind of maybe the lack of design. We don't usually associate high design with vegetable gardening. And that's what this approach is calling for. It's saying, you know, like get a scaled drawing, understand where your sun is, develop areas where you're going to be able to have proper companion planting with trees and shrubs and flowering perennials and native plants so that you have a better ecological system that's in balance. You'll have fewer disease problems, fewer insect problems. You'll have better harvests. And it's more convenient. Like, I don't have to do yoga to reach any of my vegetables, you know? <laughs> <laughs> For you. This is End of the Garden with Leslie, and we're talking with Bree Arthur, Bree the Plant Lady, on News Radio WINA. And our topic today is foodscaping. We're getting to know Bree and her fun foodscaping ways. So let's go drill down into a couple of specifics. I listened to another interview with you today and you were able to, I guess in your first book, you had an appendix section where you were saying, hey, try this instead of that. And some, some ones that pop to mind are, you know, a red panacetum versus what, buckwheat or, or wheat? Uh, actually, uh, re uh, black madres rice. Oh, so rice is a magical plant that everyone needs to at least try once. It's the most beautiful, honestly, it's the most beautiful grass you'll ever grow. And it's super easy, you know, $3 worth of seed will bring you joy every single day through the heat of the summer. 
and it has great structural integrity. So unlike the purple penicetum that everyone grows and it collapses every single time you get a quarter inch of rain, Mm -hmm. rice stands upright. It appreciates the moisture and it's, it's absolutely one of the most elegant grasses that you'll ever see. You can harvest the seed and eat it. However, you're going to be in direct competition with birds. And to be perfectly honest, I think that's one of the main reasons that I encourage people to grow grains of all kinds, you know, summer grains like rice and millet and sorghum and corn, and then winter grains like barley and wheat and oats and rye. Bird, you're growing your own bird food. You don't have to buy bird seed and you'll have You'll have so many more bird visitors when you cultivate these crops as plants in your garden. So you don't have to worry about, because I did a quick, once again, researching for this interview, how do you have, do you even harvest rice? And then I'm like, maybe that's a stupid question. I don't want to bore Brie with this question. Well, no, it's a good question because the only, they were saying on this YouTube that they were doing it by hand and there was still a machine involved. How do you actually do it by hand if you want to? Maybe we just let the birds do it? So, yes. I mean, you know, I'm fortunate to have a very engineering savvy husband who, when I became enamored with grains and it started with wheat and it's, you know, it's, it really is like a, a complete, I'm totally obsessed. Like there's no other way of looking at it. Um, basically, no conversation is without some discussion of grains. <laughs> I'm not well adjusted is what I'm getting to. But David created a hand thresher that is essentially used with a drill and a five gallon paint bucket. And you put the seed in that and this drill attachment has some chain link attached onto it and it spins around and beats the chafe off the seed and then you winnow it by using a box fan and you blow away the the chafe and what you're left with is seed and so that's how you would harvest for eating purposes all of the grains for the most part i encourage people to grow grains one did deep root systems so they scavenge nutrients and draw them back up to the surface. In fact, most grains will uh, be somewhere between 36 and 48 inches in their root system. So they're really great at, as natural tillers. Yeah. So if you have hard packed clay, you live in a new development, and you want to improve your soil without having to buy a rototiller, do one or two seasons of grains and they will fix your soil for you. And you will have spent about $8 in seed. Wow. Uh, you know, so I think there's a lot of practical reasons beyond the eating part of it. However, we do eat the grains we grow. We brew with the barley that we, that we cultivate each season. And we just use that very simple modified drill, which we actually featured on an episode of Growing a Greener World. And I can send you the link so people can see it. And it's actually something that our neighborhood garden helpers primarily do. Uh, We used to be able to host like junior master gardeners, and it was their favorite thing in the world to thresh grains, because honestly, it's an experience that most people living today have never had. That is so cool. So we're running out of time, unfortunately. I think we could talk forever about this, Um, but I just would love to know, because I am more geared toward ornamental, although you are swaying me with every word that you say, um, tell me some of your favorite, you know, edible plants that are the most ornamental in your eyes. Well, I, you know, I almost look at them more as a practicality and my number one recommendation is garlic. 
Um, garlic is easy to plant. It doesn't have a lot of pests and diseases. It's a cool season crop, so it doesn't need to be irrigated or fertilized, and it helps deter animals. And so in every garden, everywhere, you have deer, rabbits, groundhogs, armadillos, you know, God forbid other people in places have things like elk. So I'm always like, you know, be grateful for the animals that you do have because there's something else that's worse. But garlic, onions, basil, these are plants that you can put right along edges in an ornamental landscape. And not only will you get something that you can harvest, but they have the added benefit of helping deter those creatures that were constantly at odds with. So I would almost, I always focus on practicality. And I think garlic is the plant that it should be the gateway to foodscaping for everyone. I recently harvested about 850 garlic bulbs. So we have no vampires in the neighborhood that I live in. So excited for you. Congratulations. <laughs> this has been a great pleasure chatting with you. And like I said, we could have gone on forever, but every word you say is just like, wow, I never thought of it that way. Thank you. Well, you are so welcome. Thank you for inviting me. This has been a pleasure. This is Into the Garden with Leslie on News Radio WINA. Next, we'll be talking about what to do in your garden right now and what to listen to while you are out there. Welcome back to Into the Garden with Leslie. I loved that interview. If you ever have a chance to see Bree the Plant Lady in person, do it. She's that articulate, smart, funny, adorable, and her enthusiasm is totally infectious. Every time I talk to her, I want to go buy things, plants or seeds or whatever it is, and grow things in my garden that are not just ornamental, but that can also feed me or birds. A couple of show notes that I'll put in. She mentioned Rosalind Creasy, who also has a great website. Um, and I'll put that link in the uh, in the show notes. She may have written some books before Brie did, and she might be really good on this topic too, but could she be as charming as Brie? I, I just don't know. Brie mentioned Ample Harvest, and it looks like an amazing site. I'll put that link in. It What it does is it links excess harvest with people who need food. And then Brie's website is briegrows.com. And she, on Instagram, she is Brie the Plant Lady. She does great posts and videos. Oh, she's big on YouTube also. You can learn a ton from her. And when she does posts on Instagram, I've noticed that she just includes a ton of information. So she's just like a, you know, she's incredibly educated. She's enthusiastic and she wants to spread her knowledge. So, so get in line with Brie. Oh, and buy her books. They're wonderful. I got the cutest Instagram message from a Christine Beasy who had just listened to my podcast summary episode, which I did a couple weeks ago on episode 21. And the next day she found a tick on her son. And because I had mentioned this tickencounter.org, she knew what to do. So that was a pretty cool coincidence. And thank you for writing, Christine. Tickencounter.org actually has an Instagram account. And don't go looking at their account if you're only into pretty flowers because we're talking engorged ticks and blah, blah, blah. But very educational. And if you're outdoors gardening, you should be informed about, about ticks. And what you're doing in your garden right now? What am I doing? Well, I think the first thing you should do is get yourself some mountain mint. And now that you know that I'm so in love with it, and obviously I have plenty to share, get in touch with me. If you live locally, I'll share some with you. To follow up on the tomato pruning that I mentioned last week, so it turns out that nobody else calls the the suckers that grow up from the branches that you know you didn't mean to have. Nobody else calls those upside down armpit hairs. So maybe that's not a thing, or maybe it could be a thing. Anyway, suckers, extra branches, side shoots, but you really should pinch those in order to keep your plant organized. Um, unless you just have totally relied on a cage that is going to control every bit of that plant. 
I tie my tomatoes to a tutor. And so I want them to keep that one main trunk and stay sort of to that regimen. But, you know, you can be as loose as you want to be. However, I was Googling the topic and I found an article written by Frank Ferrandino in Fine Gardening Magazine. And he says, if you don't take them away, and I quote, by season's end, your tomato will be an unsightly, impenetrable, disease-wracked tangle. That sounds depressing. Maybe, maybe you take away those upside-down armpit hairs. So what else to do? Water, water, water. Ugh. Weed, weed, weed. Yeah, I'm one of those crazy people who loves a good weed. I kind of let some of my gravel paths get particularly hairy. And then I get out my little kneeling pad and I put on a good podcast or some tunes and I get to it. Two of them that are in my garden right now I thought I would talk about because they might result in a little bit of a problem. They look fairly alike. A couple weeks ago, I was talking about this one called common purslane. So that's the Portulaca oleracea. And that's the one that is actually incredibly edible and nutritious. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to an article that talks about the difference between that and spurge, which is the Euphorbia prostrata. If you were to describe them, and I will, low-growing, round, oval-like green leaves connected by a reddish stem, that fits the description of like, oh, when I started dating Jeff, what does he look like? Well, he's about 6'1", he has brown hair. Yeah, I mean, it could be anybody, right? So the reason that you want to tell the difference between these two is not just because you might happen to want to forage and therefore eat the purslane because it's very nutritious. It's also if you were to go weeding on the spurge and without um, without gloves on, spurge being a euphorbia has that milky sap if you break the stem. And that little guy is kind of hard to pull out of the earth, even though he looks so appealing. Um, if you don't dig down, you'll just snap up the, the big juicy part and you'll leave the root of it in the ground. Anyway, so that happens and you haven't put your gloves on and that milky sap stuff gets on your hands, you could get a rash right on your hands. I don't generally, but if you put your hands near your eyes, you will be so sad. So they kind of look alike, but they're really quite different. Look for that. If you're, if you're reading and you really want to know, look for that link in the show notes and it has some good photographs on how to tell them apart. And speaking of so sad, Here's what to listen to while you're gardening, and it's been running through my head. It's from The Temptations in 1968, and some of the lyrics are, Sunshine, blue skies, please go away. Raindrops would hide my teardrops. My teardrops because of the amount of my utility bill, and maybe yours from my singing. Well, let's get the temps to do it instead. How about that? Okay, that's enough. <laughs> I should actually reward you for listening to this instead of punishing you at the end. And we have come to the end. If you have any questions or comments or corrections, please reach out to me at Instagram. I am Leslie Harris LH. My website is lhgardens.com, and that's where you can find all of my old podcasts and my blog too. If you like the podcast, please subscribe or comment in your podcast platform. And I really appreciate it because I'm trying to get people to listen. If you have a friend who enjoys a light approach to ornamental gardening, tell them to come into the garden with Leslie. I named this show Into the Garden with Leslie because I'm really into my garden and I want to get you into yours and any friends you have who like gardening into theirs. See you next week. <laughs>